1: To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words.
0: Netwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast nine and three quarters. Topic of the week is: What actually is magic? Hello listeners, I'm Ria. And I'm Jem. And this week we'll both be discussing what actually is magic and how does it work. Okay, so I suggested this topic a few weeks ago because it keeps coming up in a lot of our episodes that a lot of the explanations that we have, the big phenomena in the Harry Potter universe is just, it's magic. And that's not good enough for me. (laughs) So... (laughs) I'm sort of obsessed with trying to figure out what exactly magic is, like defining it as a noun or verb or whatever we want to define it as.
1: Okay. So have you done that?
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, um, yeah, my aim for today (laughs) is to actually come up with a proper definition that the both of us can use in future episodes. Um, So that's been something I've been focusing on for my research for today. What about you? What do you think of this topic?
1: Yeah, well, trying to figure out what the hell magic even is, is, like, obviously something that's essential for us going forward because we keep hitting these walls over and over again. How do the owls work? Magic. How does this work? Magic. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm a bit more interested in, I guess you'd say the different branches of magic because yeah. it seems like there's different kinds of magic in the Harry Potter universe. Yeah. And <laughs> I want to know, like, how, how can there be different kinds? How do they interact with each other? How does that work? So that's what yeah. I was looking at.
0: Okay. Well, I guess I'll, I'll start us off. So first of all, I looked on the Harry Potter wiki and there is a definition of magic provided there, but I don't like it. Um, so the definition provided <laughs> is, quote, magic is a supernatural force that can alter the fabric of reality at fundamental levels, unquote. This is okay. Right. Um, I just don't think it's encompassing enough and it doesn't explain it enough. A supernatural force, that's what it's saying that it is. But, like, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, straight so, away I want to argue with that. Yeah, like, altering reality at fundamental levels. Okay, I can I can look at that and I can dissect that a bit more. But just the supernatural force bit, is, is even that still a bit vague? So I'd like a bit more of a, a clarification there. My research, it went on to say things like magic is a tool for making life more efficient um, and less threatening. Because JK made a comparison uh, between magic for wizards and technology for muggles. And she says that, like, basically muggles use technology in the same way that wizards use magic. It's just, it's a tool to make life easier for them, to make life more comfortable. Um, Obviously, it protects you, like, electricity, like, lets us have lights and security. And so does magic for wizards. Yeah, but I don't think that that analogy—you
1: <laughs> were about to say—like electricity protects us, which is great.
0: <laughs> it does. <laughs> in some cases, electricity keeps us alive if we're if we're in hospital or if we need heat, things like that.
1: <laughs> That's true. I just like the idea of electricity as like a guardian, a watchful protector.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Think of how we lived before we had electricity. Obviously we still survived, but it was just a lot more harder, wasn't it? (laughs) Like Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we had to make huge accommodations in our lifestyle to make up for the fact that we can't go outside at night and we can't have access to healthcare and we will die at the age of forty two because we just (laughs) that's the way things go. Um (laughs) So But I don't I don't like the the comparison between electricity and magic, mainly because electricity or technology is not equivalent to magic. Because magic is something that's natural; it's not something that was built by wizards for them to use. Yeah. Whereas electricity is something that humans or muggles had to work on for centuries in order to like learn and use. So it's not the same yeah. in that same in that sense. Well, um, el- electricity is natural. You do get electricity in yes. the wild. Yes. lightning <laughs> that's true, but it's taken us a long time to learn how to produce it for ourselves and harness it for ourselves yeah yeah magic has also been called another branch of science that the exact wording on Harry Potter wiki was a fourth branch of science which mm. I don't know much about science, but I think there's more than three branches of science <laughs> anyway um, <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> no
1: there's only there's only three
0: science. <laughs> Uh, I think she she had listed there biology, physics, and chemistry. I'm like, I'm pretty sure, like, astro- astronomy and, like, quantum physics and, you know, I don't know. There's got to be other branches of science. Um, Geology. Anyway. Geology, <laughs> Geology, yeah, yeah the one I can one. think of. Rocks. Meteorology, that's a science. Yeah. <laughs> Anything with an ology on There's the lots end. lots of science. <laughs> So yeah, it could be looked at that way as maybe just a, a type of science that muggles haven't like exactly understood yet. Maybe there's a possibility that muggles could tap into that as well. So this is how I was thinking about magic at first, that magic is something that exists in the universe that certain people or creatures can obviously access and others just can't. Um, and so that's the, the division between magical folk and non-magical folk. But, okay. but even then so like like a natural force a natural force the universe. obviously but then it's saying that it's a supernatural force because it's a natural force that has the ability to yeah. alter other natural forces so in that way if there's a hierarchy of natural forces this one is the most powerful but then again okay. I didn't like that either it didn't quite gel with me so then I started looking at what can magic do because I wanted to wrap my head around it more All right. and in a lot of ways magic can assimilate to what we understand with modern science in our universe. So it can follow the laws okay. of conversion of mass and energy. That's that's really interesting. Yes. So if you think about things like um, transfiguration, it's in their first mm-hmm. years of Hogwarts, they're turning like needles into matchsticks or vice versa, right? And then like later on, they yeah. turn a pig into a desk and they turn a cat into a cauldron. So if you think about, the objects that they're using to turn into animals or vice versa, they're of similar mass and size. Like obviously there's a bit of differentiation, but I don't imagine that you could pick up a needle and turn it into a sleeping bag. I think you need to have something of a similar um, space and weight and mass in the universe in order to transfigure it from one thing to another successfully. That seems to be the case in school. Yeah.
1: Especially in the earlier years, but I don't agree that that's the case always. Okay.
0: Can you provide some examples?
1: Well, the best example is conjuration. Mm -hmm. So, um, transfiguration is transforming like one object into another object or along those lines, but conjuration is a school of transfiguration where you basically create something out of thin air. Right. And according to Harry Potter wiki, conjuration is transfiguring the actual air itself into whatever it is that you're trying to conjure, which I didn't know but okay.
0: Yeah. That's, I guess it
1: makes more sense than
0: just appearing something. Yeah. conjurations is a tricky thing because what I was looking at was um, Gamp's laws of conjuration, right? So there's like, or yeah. of elemental transfiguration, sorry. Gamp's laws of
1: elemental transfiguration.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the rules of con- conjuration that I have we both here, know them. Yeah. The rules of conjuration that I have written down is it is possible to create something from nothing. So that's obviously that's, beyond the science that we have now. Um, however, it is difficult to yeah. make something specific, and these objects are weaker or will break rust deteriorate quicker. So let's say if you wanted to make mm-hmm. something for nothing, if you want to conjure something, and say I wanted to conjure um, a pocket watch. I could probably do that, but yeah. it would just be a pocket watch that I could just fathom in my mind. So probably like a silver pocket watch, maybe the size of my fist with a chain on it um, and it wouldn't last for long. It would to be a fist. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And this is what I imagine when I'm thinking. Okay. Okay. So it wouldn't last for long. Maybe it'll only <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> pocket watch might only last me a few months. It probably would need constant repairing and it probably would disintegrate or something. That's just a general sort of thing. But if I tried to specifically conjure my grandfather's pocket watch from World War II with an engraving on the inside and like a, Crack in the glass. Then I probably couldn't do that because that's too specific. Is what I'm getting from this definition.
1: Yeah, but I don't.
0: I don't quite understand why. Yeah,
1: it seems like if you can create something from nothing, why does the level of detail, like why is that a restriction? Yeah, that's interesting. I think
0: maybe it's to do with. Hmm. So let's let's say for example. Maybe it's to do with <laughs> Okay, I'm just I'm just trying to articulate it. So say for example, yes. you're taking something yeah. from nothing. Well there's not actually nothing. There is bits of matter and atoms, thanks, Bill Mai, in the air. So um <laughs> maybe it's like you can alter those atoms to an extent that is conceivable, but you can't like al- so you can take a group of them and alter them, but you can't take individual bits and alter this one slightly more and this one slightly less. Does that make sense? Or am I like extrapolating completely off course?
1: I guess it makes sense in terms of why, well, maybe it just has to do with like a or wizard's basic power mm. level. I, we'll get into yes. that as well, because like how are some more powerful? Yes. Or whatever. Uh, but the best example of conjuration that I can think of from the books is when Hermione summons a flock of birds and uses them to attack Ron yes. and Lavender because she's yes. upset. So if she can summon like, act- sorry, if she can conjure actual living birds out of yes. nothing, like, first of all, whoa, <laughs> magic's crazy. <laughs> but um, maybe the reason why that's effective is because it's something immediate, like the bird's, coming to existence they have a specific purpose and then they end if you're conjuring a pocket watch that's something that you want to exist and continue functioning basically forever and maybe it's like a long-term sort of gradual draining of your power and eventually you just can't sustain that spell and so the watch falls apart and doesn't work and i don't know trying to Fill it with all these details to make it look like your grandfather's pocket watch is just beyond your capabilities, not necessarily beyond the realm of possibility. Just you can't do it.
0: I like that explanation a lot better because didn't Hermione have to say, maybe I'm just remembering from the movie or the book, I I get them confused sometimes, of like that she had to concentrate when she was making the birds. So like she did it when she was particularly upset, but she was still trying to like concentrate and take her mind away from the situation by just practicing her homework.
1: Yes, I think that's what she – like, Harry finds her and she's specifically saying, I'm trying to make these birds, but either they don't look right or they look better than they usually yeah. do in
0: class. Because Harry's always impressed with Hermione's skill at magic. Yeah. So I think Harry walks in and goes, wow, those birds are great. And she's like, yes, I'm just concentrating on them or something like that. And then, like, that's true with the conjuration rule that I've read out because when she targets them at Ron, Ron Lavender, in the movie at least, they puff into – feathers and disappear so they deteriorate quickly because she's either stopped concentrating or stopped the spell or stopped caring about it so um conjuration is dependent on concentration perhaps or just magical ability like the level of magical power you have sorry my voice is going um so (laughs) (laughs) conjuration do we have any more questions about conjuration or we think we've, we've worked that out I think we've worked that out
1: I did totally derail what you were saying what were you saying transfiguration, yeah. something, something, objects? Yeah, I was talking about size. how
0: objects should be around the same size as if you're transfiguring things, um, which I think is pretty standard. Yeah, it's, it's pretty standard well. um, in the books from what I remember. Yeah. Then there's the, the rule with vanished objects. So when you vanish an object, it doesn't mm. cease to exist. They always go somewhere else McGonagall says that they go into non-being which is to say everywhere so that makes me think that if you say you have like a a glass of water and you vanish the water the water like disappears but I guess it like the the particles of it um spread out into thin air and just deteriorate that way or I'm not sure I guess it either becomes
1: air or the atoms that make up the water are rearranged and dispersed into the rest of the universe. yes.
0: Maybe. Oh, this is a theory. Maybe there's atoms and then there's magical atoms. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I know. Here we go. Hot take. Wizards, when they conjure things or transfigure things, when they conjure things or transfigure things, they're drawing magical atoms from around them to do that. And so then when something dissipates, it Dissipates into magical atoms, which can be accessed and used again.
1: Okay, well, that kind of plays into the idea that magic is a supernatural force,
0: a physical thing that people tap into.
1: Yeah, if there's like basic, like physical atoms, like the atoms that Muggles (laughs) use, and then there's magic atoms. God, how far (laughs) in the way, like. Not even <laughs> 20 minutes, and we're already so, so far out of my depth in terms of science talk.
0: Um, <laughs> okay, but I'm not sure about oh, this because no. I have an, my own hot take, which is coming up, and this this sort of magical atoms theory, which I've just come up with on the spot, is leaning more towards my initial assumptions about magic, which is that it's something physical that some people can access but others can't, and I'm, I'm not leaning towards yeah. that completely. So – Okay. What have I got here? Matter cannot be physically altered by magic to an extent that is beyond reason. For example, objects cannot be enlarged beyond a certain point without becoming unstable or exploding. Now, is that true? Or is that just something I've written down?
1: I read that as well. It didn't provide an example, but I was thinking of in the books when they go to the Quidditch World Cup and they see a small child who has taken daddy's wand from the bedside table and is now um, poking a slug with it and making the slug bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually the slug just explodes because I guess slugs can only get so big. Or actually, maybe the mother steps on the slug. So this is completely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I think I was misremembering that and the mother steps on the slug and bursts it. Never
0: mind. Oh, yuck. What about Hagra's pumpkins? Do they explode? In the games they do, if you blast them with (laughs) the pulso. (laughs) But um, (laughs) but
1: that's if you explode them. They don't just naturally explode. (laughs) Anything
0: explodes if you explode it. What I mean is... He grows them (laughs) to, like, the size of, um, what is it, a cart or something? I'm trying to remember the simile she used. It's big enough for several grown men to sit in. Okay, right. So... You know, why stop there? Why not just keep growing the pumpkins until they're big enough so that you can mm. have, like, one pumpkin per table in the Great Hall and you just slice it up and everyone gets a bit of pumpkin more than enough than they need. Um, but obviously, maybe there's a limit for pumpkins.
1: Yeah. Solve word hunger.
0: Yeah, exactly. This is this is where magic goes mad.
1: I – my, my <laughs> tiny muggle brain – is like, no, you can't just make exactly. things infinitely big. <laughs> there has to be some kind of limit. <laughs> but why? Why I guess, does it have to be
0: a limit? Why I guess what we know from limits? the books is that there has to be a limit. Otherwise, why haven't wizards solved things like world hunger and the oil crisis and things like that? And obviously, they haven't done that because there'd be no good conflict in the story. And that's not, not what the story is about. But... It leads us to believe that if magic is just capable of doing anything, then wizards are just assholes who just aren't helping muggles. <laughs> <laughs> um.
1: Yeah. Wizards are basically <laughs> gods who just choose to hide and yeah. not interfere with the world. Yeah. We have, we have yeah. to assume that magic has limits, that there are just things yeah. that cannot be done or cannot be yes. done sustainably. I, it feels logical that one of those is things can yeah. only get so big. Well, we know that... Because otherwise, I could just pick up a rock and make it the size of the moon and kill everyone on Earth. <laughs>
0: exactly. Voldemort, why don't you do that? <laughs> what a basic bitch. <laughs> well, we we know that magic has limitations because there are several rules. The so first I mentioned is the rule of conjuration. Then there's the rule against resurrection. Yeah. Which is that you can't bring people back from the dead. Now, Mm -hmm. there are inferi, which are reanimated corpses. They're not people brought back from the dead, though. They're just corpses that are like marionettes. Mm -hmm. There's um, the Priori Incantatum effect, which happens in a fourth book in which Harry sees the sort of echoes of uh, his dead parents and Cedric and uh, Frank, the caretaker. But those, again, are not people brought back from the dead. They're simply echoes of the last spells that Voldemort spawned cast. And then um, there's the resurrection stone, which yep. can bring back vis- a vision of a person who has passed. But again, that is not resurrecting the dead. It's bringing back like a, an image of them to communicate with. And they usually don't like being disturbed. Like, And even then it's arguable whether that is actually the person coming back or whether it's mm. just some kind of vision Apparition that isn't yeah.
1: really that. There's person. even
0: arguments to say that it's a trick from death to lure the user of the stone further towards death. So mm-hmm. that's a whole nother kettle of fish. um But basically, yeah. rule number two is that you can't bring people back from the dead. Yeah. Rule number three, the rule against immortality. Mm-hmm. Now, people are going to say philosopher's stone, but that does not make you immortal. It is it creates a liquid which can sustain your life no. for a longevity, but it does not make you immortal. Another seemingly um, break to the rule of immortality is ghosts. But again, ghosts aren't a representation of wizards' immortality. They're a representation of wizards' uh, fear, I guess. <laughs> Deciding not to move on or being too afraid to move on.
1: Ghosts are dead. You can't be immortal after you die. You have to be alive to be immortal. <laughs> exactly. Doesn't count. You can't die to
0: achieve immortality. <laughs> The echo of a departed soul. Departed is underlined, italicized, bolded. They're gone. They're not immortal. Okay. Rule number four is what I mentioned before. Gamp's law of elemental transfiguration. Okay. So what we know about this law is that there are five principal exceptions to the law. So I don't know what the law is exactly. I couldn't find what it was.
1: If we extrapolate, it's something about how certain elements can be transfigured into certain other elements. Like, that's what it has to be.
0: Exactly. But there are five exceptions. One of these exceptions is food. When this is mentioned by Hermione. Food can be transported from one place to another. It can be transformed into one thing to another thing. I assume that follows the same sort of laws. So you can't, like, get a grain of rice and transform it into a hamburger. You might be able to get an apple and transform it into a hamburger. But, like, they've got to be a similar size, mass, etc.
1: I would assume that it means just you can't take a rock and transform it into food, but you could take, like, a hamburger and transform it into a pie or something. Because food is different to other things,
0: according to this rule. Yeah, but I don't know about the rock thing, because food is a concept. Everything is edible if you try hard enough.
1: (laughs) Yes. This is, like, I was going to let you finish talking before I started calling bullshit, but this whole plot point, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense in the book. It's impossible to make food. Okay, fine. But logically, it doesn't make any sense.
0: Okay. The third thing with food um, is that its quantity can be increased. So if you have one scone, you can give yourself six scones. And I think- mcgonagall has a plate of refilling dinner set out for harry and ron in the second book um or refilling sandwiches that's it so like Mm -hmm. the quantity can be increased or it's assumed that those sandwiches were just like being transported up from the kitchen or something like that so yeah those are the three things that are part of the exceptions my question is what are the other four exceptions there's been speculation that money could be an exception, but again, money's a concept. I put down maybe people or living things yeah. could be an exception. But then again, that's so broad, like plants are living things as well. But they transfigure living things in transfiguration class every damn
1: day. Yeah. Occupy into a pincushion, peek into a desk. Animals
0: into water goblets. Mm-hmm. Food can be transformed. I mean, yeah, so people can be transformed like food can be. They can be moved from one place to another. Maybe their quantity can be increased. That's terrifying. So maybe cloning's fine in the wizarding world. Wow, that's interesting. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I'm saying that maybe people or living creatures is one of the five principal exceptions to whatever Gamp's law of elemental transfiguration actually is like food.
1: Yeah. It- frustrating that we don't know what the yeah. law is we only know the exceptions to it yeah all we know is that food is one of the exceptions and i think jk has confirmed that money is another one of the exceptions which also makes no sense doesn't make sense because first of all there isn't a there is like an actual <laughs> exception because the philosopher's
0: stone yes <laughs> turns things into gold I think what she's saying but, is that you can't uh, get a galleon and just make infinite galleons, but obviously you can't. <laughs> like...
1: Well, in the muggle world, it's possible to print your own money, but we have systems in place that stop that right. from being a viable option for everybody else. So you can assume that why the wizarding economy doesn't collapse is because if I take a galleon and I've replicated it so I have 20 galleons, they would hmm. all have like the same serial number on them or something. But in terms of it being physically impossible, it's not, it just, it isn't. You can yeah. make money because you can make exactly. gold and sell gold for money.
0: Yeah. Um, so that's the five principal exceptions. Well, I've, I've figured out maybe three, food, money, and possibly living creatures, but I don't know about the living creatures one. What do you think other ones might be, exceptions to the rules? It would just have
1: to be things that break the world. That's why I don't think living things is one of them.
0: Yeah, but no, like I said, the food can be moved, can be transformed. So living things can be transformed just like food can be transformed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so transform's fine, but Hermione conjures birds. Conjuration, that's a different
0: thing. Birds are alive. We're talking about transfiguration.
1: No, but conjuration's a subcategory of transfiguration. So the point of this this exception is that it's impossible to conjure food.
0: Oh, well, I don't know, because I don't give us the freaking law. (laughs) What does it mean? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, you would assume that the law is something like, it's possible to transfigure anything into anything, and it's possible to conjure anything from anything, with the exception being food, You can't conjure that or create it out of nothing or transfigure something into something else and eat it.
0: Maybe the other thing is, like, medicine. Maybe that's why potions are still around. Yeah.
1: But uh, I didn't want to get stuck on Gamp's law because I feel like we need to do a whole episode on it. But the food thing makes no sense because you can conjure wine out of the end of your wand. Water is conjured. Water's an element, though. Water's a food. Even McGonagall transfigures her desk into a pig. You know what I can eat? Pig.
0: That's a food. Exactly. Um, the thing with the water and the wine and the sauces, they could have just, they, that mightn't have been conjuring, that might have been moving it from the kitchen to the ends of their wands. Maybe, but see, it really seems like they're conjured. I don't know. It's a bit of
1: a, like, it's a bit of a logical leap to be like, okay, so when Mrs. Weasley gets out a saucepan, sticks her wand in it, starts stirring, and sauce pours out of the end, she's, what, got a jug of pre-prepared sauce in the fridge, and she's actually just teleporting it. Why? Why wouldn't she just summon the jug of sauce out of the fridge and pour it in? Why this fancy teleportation? Aesthetic?
0: (laughs) Because wizards are lazy? It's just maybe it's not logically sound maybe that spell was invented because people have cellars so it's like oh you know i could spend two minutes going up and down the stairs to get the wine from the cellar but no you're right here i'll just <laughs> pour you a glass of wine from my wand because i'm lazy
1: but you can summon you can summon a bottle of wine and make it pour
0: itself The cellars don't have windows ria do you remember when you have to summon thing, they have to they have to go out a window or through a door or something like that? So if the cellar door is shut, because it would be to keep the cool in. Think of Britain! <laughs> they don't have windows in cellars. <laughs> we have automatic doors in the muggle
1: world. <laughs> but this is fun. The- <laughs> Why can't you magic
0: the door to open? <laughs> oh, that's two spells when you can just do one spell.
1: <laughs> I disagree that it is easier to <laughs> Instantly teleport wine out of a bottle in an undisclosed location to the end of I your wand. With you because Then it is to summon a bottle of wine and make it pour itself so you don't even have to touch it with your filthy
0: hands. <laughs> you don't even have to touch it with your filthy hands if you're just transporting it straight out of the bottle from the cellar. <laughs> what do you that's two spells versus one spell. Which one's easier, Rhea? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but my two <laughs> spells don't break the <laughs> laws of reality. <laughs> oh. That's why it's easy. I'm, I'm, okay.
1: Okay, look. Okay. No, no, we have to stop. We can't spend the entire episode on
0: Game's Law. <laughs> we just can't. We've got other things to talk about. I looked at what else magic cannot do. Magic cannot cure eyesight difficulties like myopia or long-sightedness or anything like that. That's why a lot of witches and wizards still wear glasses, no, like Harry, that's... like Dumbledore, like McGonagall, and several others. No, that's conjecture. That is your conjecture. That's not confirmed. But then why wouldn't they have fixed it? There's, there's like I can. There's so many characters that have eyesight difficulties. Well, I have eyesight difficulties.
1: I could go and get my eyes fixed, but I don't want to. Yeah, that's true. Maybe it's expensive, painful, complicated.
0: Hmm. But like, I think what it really is, is that JK wanted to write characters that had glasses for whatever reasons. Like she wanted to include Harry's glasses to represent his vulnerability. I understand that. And then she just realized later on, oh, maybe magic could have healed that. But then Mm -hmm. she's just gone, no, it can't. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do that.
1: (laughs) I think magic can cure eyesight. It's just that Harry hasn't had Mm -hmm. that done. Mm -hmm. So for most of the series, Harry's a child. He doesn't have parents to make that decision for him. He doesn't have parents who are like, okay, today we're going to go to the hospital and we're going to get the magic eye fixing procedure. That's just never an option that's been available to him. In his adulthood, he might be like, oh, shit, I can get my eyes fixed. Whatever. I'm going to go do that. But that's, it hasn't come up because he doesn't have an adult
0: in his life to be like, oh, hey, do you
1: want to fix this? Like you said,
0: they don't need to have it fixed. And they've got glasses anyway. And, like, it's not like glasses would be expensive. Oculus Apparo, done. I don't need to ever get my prescription replaced. Yeah. <laughs> you buy glasses once, you can transfigure the frames to change yeah. with the fashion. You can change the thickness of the lens if you need to as you get older. You buy glasses once, the end. Oh, like, the fucking optometrist business in the wizarding world must be just non-existent. It's like Blockbuster video. <laughs> oh, my God. There's so many problems
1: just with this. I'm just... I'm letting you talk because all the objections are trying to fight their way out of my mouth
0: and they're all getting trapped. <laughs> oh, um, Magic. Magic cannot allow you to fly by yourself, but the exception to this rule is Voldemort who teaches it to Snape and his followers. So Voldemort found a way. So magic can allow you to fly by yourself. Yes, obviously it was just something that people couldn't do until. So it's just one of those things that you you need a certain magical ability and level of magic to be able to perform, I guess.
1: Okay. Okay. I've got some more restrictions to magic, which I've just come up with out of my own brain. So magic interferes with electricity. So magic and electricity can't be in the same place at the same time. So what do you think
0: about that? Oh, man. I think that that is something that, me personally, this is my personal opinion, I think that that's like flying. People can't fly. I think that that is based upon how history has evolved in the magical world. It's like, oh, wizards need to be separate from muggles. We don't understand this electricery. We don't understand this technological stuff. So let's just keep away from it. And it interferes with our magic anyway. But I think- as technology becomes more advanced and more subtle and maybe the wizarding and magic and world, magical worlds become more integrated in the future possibly, I think that that's something that can be overcome and that magic and electricity don't negate each other. I think that's just superstition.
1: Okay, that's interesting because I was assuming that yeah, well like <laughs> electricity is some kind of field, right? You have an electric
0: field <laughs> or is it a current? Oh, okay. So you can have you have you have an electrical current which goes through certain objects at certain speeds, um, depending on the object's mass, I think. And then you can have electrical fields around things that are storing or transporting electricity, so I'm thinking of like power lines that I don't know really. <laughs> I don't know how science works.
1: I thought living things have electricity, like, mm. electrical fields around them as well. Okay. I don't know. Like, that's how you can get static electricity in your hands and zap people. Um, like, it's not the same sort of electricity as, like, can power a light bulb. But, yeah, I think living things have electric right. fields as well. So I was kind of assuming that magic is a field and mm. magical and electrical fields just don't play well together
0: hmm see i don't assume that magic is a field see i have my own theories about magic all right so we'll table we'll put a pin in that for a second
1: and my other yes sort of restriction upon magic is that magic always leaves traces that's what dumbledore says yes um i think that's fine so that means that there's yeah there's some kind of immutability to magic I guess like it can't be
0: destroyed it's always there well that's matter matter can't be created or destroyed thanks Bill Nye
1: yeah so magic is matter I was always thinking of magic more as like energy
0: yeah well I had a theory that maybe magic has a mind of its own so the fact that it can't be destroyed like there's some sentience to it Yeah, like uh, that would be going along a sort of fantasy element of like magic has a as a as a divinity if it's like a higher level of energy or higher level of being. I mean, I don't have a problem with magic leaves traces because it's like it's like how there's the theory with the Big Bang that the the sound of the Big Bang is still traveling, right? It's still going. Um, I don't know if it's the sound. I think just
1: the Expansion. Yeah, like I thought the actual okay. explosion, the bang right. itself I thought, is still going out.
0: I thought we could still hear the sound of the big bang. Like you can still pick it up on machines and science stuff. I don't know how. Yeah, I think there's centres dedicated to it, but I don't know. <laughs> oh, maybe. So yeah, I don't have a problem with magically leaves traces because matter leaves traces, like energy and things that take ages to be to like completely go away. From things. I don't know. Like, what am I trying to
1: say? Yeah, Yeah. I'm just thinking of, like, carbon dating stuff. Yeah, nuclear half lives and stuff. Yeah, so magic is, like, radiation, maybe? Yeah. (laughs) These are just, like, points that I want to bring up because it's going to help us in how we define magic. If we say magic is one thing, but that doesn't make sense in terms of, well, how does it leave traces? I'm just hassling you. Go on, tell me what it magic is.
0: I was thinking about magic, and I was thinking about <laughs> love magic because love magic is one of the room. There's a room dedicated to it in the Ministry of Magic in the Department of Mysteries. And love magic is often cited throughout the series as the most powerful type of magic, magic that's beyond our understanding, and old magic, etc. So yes. I was thinking about love magic, and it's very it's it's a little bit. Well, it's very unclear about just how love magic works. There seems to be some sort of connection between love and sacrifice that allows love magic to activate, shall we say. Love equals purity, because I'm going to say that love magic is the strongest type of magic, and I'm just calling it like a pure, powerful magic that you can't really taint. Because I think there are certain types of magics that can be manipulated and turned dark, but I don't think love magic can be turned to the dark side of magic. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. It it seems to, but w- when we get into my branches okay. of magic, well, maybe that isn't correct. But for now, I'll accept it.
0: Yes. Okay. Here's my second argument. Purity cannot be destroyed by hateful intent, because... Love is stronger than hate. I think that's the central message of the whole Harry Potter series as well. Love is stronger than hate, and I think I maybe maybe I'm an optimist. Maybe I'm an optimist, but like when I look at the real world too, love trumps hate every time. Love is my love for my friends and family is stronger than my hate for certain people in my life and certain elements of the world. Mm-hmm. So,
1: oh, this is getting so real so quickly.
0: I know. So therefore. I had, therefore, love is stronger than magic, or it is the strongest form of magic. I think it's the strongest form of magic. And then I've written down my, my new definition, which is from my head. Magic is okay. emotion manifested by will, in brackets, consciously or subconsciously, and brackets, to cause fundamental change to what is natural. So, my- Magic is emotion. Yeah, my theory is that magic is not something external that people can tap into. It's something internal inside the person that is manifested into an external force.
1: Right, okay. So this was my big question that I was going to ask you. Is magic like a like a biological element, like something that is inside of you or an external energy force? I've always assumed an external natural form of energy. Yeah. So have I. Uh, But something
0: inside of you. Because everyone has emotions. Even sociopaths have emotions, but obviously Mm. there are some people who, who like when they use their emotions, there is a power connected to it that goes out externally from them. And that's obviously the division between muggles and wizards. I don't know how that is yet, I haven't figured that out yet. Maybe you can help me why there's a division there. But that's what I've come up with. That magic is emotion. Essentially.
1: Yeah. First of all, I love that. Yeah. That's, I feel like it's true to like the core of what Harry Potter is supposed to be about. Yeah. Like we know that Harry Potter is like at its most basic level. It's a story about like love and death and hope, those kinds of things. So I like that your explanation for magic is I guess true to the spirit of the story it's also just interesting I'm trying to see if I can argue against it
0: can I give you some arguments for (laughs) and then maybe you can argue against those yes okay so repeatedly throughout the books there is a connection between magic and emotion I'm first going to talk about wild magic usually when when Uh, young wizards and witches are children before they get a wand um, because a wand doesn't produce magic. It's just a channel for magic for wizards to focus on and to channel their magic. Um, So it's when wizards and witches are young and they often are in times of uh, extreme emotional stress. They can be very happy, very sad, scared, angry, and they can have magical outbursts. So for Harry, this involved him uh, basically, jumping the height of a building, uh, growing his hair back, disappearing glass. For Ariana Dumbledore, whose magic was a bit more unstable, so she had more severe emotional outbursts that could involve her hurting other people um, and hurting herself. There's other examples, like I think Neville managed to bounce like a ball when he was thrown from a second story window. <laughs> um, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> Neville
1: had a rough life.
0: yeah christ um yeah so um yeah that's one of my links between magic being emotion because magic manifests itself when the child is particularly emotional
1: yeah and if you assume that wild magic for humans at least is your most i guess basic primal form of magic because it's before you learn any kind of control or any kind of structured thing like a spell yeah It seems, yeah, it seems like magic just is emotion or is definitely tied to your emotions.
0: Yeah. And that's what I want to get to into controlling magic because when you go to school, a lot of the focus in class is about concentrating, controlling your emotions. That's in going back to occupancy a bit, but there's a lot of like um, breathe and focus so that when you concentrate, it means you're sort of managing your emotions because if you're mm-hmm. concentrating, you can't get too frustrated, you can't get too excited. You have to be stable. And I want to argue as well that the most successful witches and wizards are those that have a good control and master over their own emotions. Yeah. Think of Albus Dumbledore, think of Minerva McGonagall. Then you have like a sort of other side of the coin is when wizards allow their emotions to go wild and consume them. Like Voldemort allows his hatred and his anger and his rage to consume him that also makes him powerful but because he doesn't have that control and that level of well he doesn't have love magic as well he's not he'll never be as powerful as albus dumbledore or as harry potter who is able to be have control over their emotions
1: playing into that uh, when um tonks becomes emotionally unstable or is in like a state of turmoil over her yes um affection over remus not being returned her magic stops working properly yeah so she loses control or she loses finer control over yeah. her metamorphosis abilities and also i think her spells become weaker or there's exactly. something like that someone says something like yeah she's upset right now and that's affecting her magic that can happen in extreme cases so if you are mm-hmm. going through like a and now like a, yeah a great deal of stress that's having a real effect on you that can Stop your magic from working, but yeah. Conversely, so are you just saying like the greatest magic is come from emotion? I'm just thinking some of the most powerful things that Harry does in the mm-hmm. series is not like structured magic, like spells. It's yes, just moments of pure emotion. Like I'm thinking when he's possessed by Voldemort in the fifth book, he's able to basically burn Voldemort out of his body and make it impossible for him to be possessed again just by thinking about how much he loves his friends.
0: Yes. When he's defending Sirius and himself in a third book from Dementors, he's able to produce a huge corporeal patronus because he's afraid and, and very brave. He feels strong at that moment. The faults with my definition here is that there's no standard. Because like I said, it's kind of common where Strong witches and wizards have a good sense of emotional control, but that's not always the case because if you look at Voldemort, if you look at, again, I like think you mentioned Harry's strongest moments sometimes come when he's lets his emotions loose. Like emotions themselves, the abil- the capabilities of magic fluctuate and vary from person to person. So mm-hmm. some people work best when they let their emotions run wild and other people work best when they manage their emotions and remain calm and stable. I'm a latter sort of person. I need to be focused and like, and manage my emotions and keep control in order to produce my best work. When I'm, if I think of like when I'm doing essays or student work or when I'm doing my work for a living and things like that, but some people they need like a big flow of energy and adrenaline and like emotion in order to produce their best work and to be their best selves.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just like, my brain's going a million miles an hour. Nice. Magic is emotion. I think your definition works. Mm-hmm. Well, it works for wizards and it works for casting spells, but... doesn't work for creatures, does it? It doesn't work for creatures. I Well, creatures can feel emotion. Emotion isn't limited to humans.
0: <laughs> Especially in the Harry Potter universe. <laughs> exactly. I think this is a good place for you to talk about the different branches of magic and um, how it can be used, because you talk about creatures.
1: Yeah. That's true. So let's take your definition of magic okay. and I'll start talking about the different branches of magic that exist and examples of what we see magic do in the story. And we'll just we'll work through it. We'll see if your definition works. Maybe we expand on it. Maybe we change it. We'll see. But we have been now recording for an hour. So do you want to call this part one and we'll do a part two? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So lucky you, listeners, you're going to get part one, define magic, and part two, does that definition
0: actually work? Well, I've been Jem. You're convinced that she can define what magic is, host. And I've been Ria.
1: You're convinced that her love can summon a flock of birds to attack her enemies, host.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to Podcast Nine and Three Quarters. This show is written and edited by Rhea and Jem. You can send us an email at 9 and 3 quarters podcast at gmail.com or find us on Tumblr at podcast 9 quarterstumblrcom or talk to us separately on Twitter. Rhea is at SmashMathRhea and me, Jem, is at Jem underscore just Jem. Please feel free to send theories or ask us questions and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com. This week's intro music was Harry's Wondrous World by John Williams, and our outro music was Hedwig's Theme by John Williams. We hear from us again in two weeks' time.